Hey church family, I'm Pastor Charles Hamilton, and I want to thank you for joining us for our virtual worship experience. You could have been anywhere else. You could have watched anyone else. But thank you for tuning in to see what New Morning Light Baptist Church is doing in the lives of the people and what we have to say about the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you can watch us on Facebook. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, or you can go to newmorninglight.org. Once again, thank you for watching, and thank you for worshiping with us to see what thus says the Lord this Sunday morning. Remember, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And thank you for watching to see what thus says the Lord this Sunday morning. God bless you. Victory belongs hey, to him. Victory
New Morning Life family, thank you for joining me for another Sunday of worship. I'm excited for this word of God that's coming to you from Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. We're going to read this in a special way, and we're going to examine this text specifically because it's Pentecost Sunday. This is the season of Pentecost, and I'll be going through in the text what Pentecost means and why it's applicable to our daily lives. Brothers and sisters, we've been on a very deep and spiritual journey. We've covered the fruits of the Spirit. We've covered the armor of the Lord. So now we're looking at the season and what it means to be in the time of Pentecost. So I'm very excited to bring that to you uh, this Sunday morning and to talk to you. Remember, the joy we have the world didn't give it to us, and the world can't take it away. We must be thankful for what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. Once again, thank you for joining me, and we're going to dive right into the text. Now, the way I'm going to read this, and I need you to bear with me because we'll be reading a lot uh, this Sunday. I'm going to start off by reading the focus verse, where I'll really be homing in on and focusing on this Sunday. Then I'm going to go back and read the other verses that help support the text that I'm reading, give the backstory. So the focus verses, I should say, are Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. Then I'm going to come back to the beginning of chapter 4 and read verses 1 all the way through 22. So it's kind of like a movie, like how movies, some movies start at the end and recap and go to the beginning or they'll start in the middle, then go back to the, be the beginning and then go all the way through to the end. That's what we're doing here. We're starting in the middle end and then we'll go back from the beginning. So bear with me. The text says, remember this is Acts chapter 4 verse 19 and 20. It says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Brothers and sisters, I entitle this sermon this Sunday, I Can't Stop, Won't Stop. Once again, I entitle this one, I Can't Stop, won't stop. Now we're going to go back to verse 1 and read all the way through to verse 22. Bear with me. Stay with me. Don't get lost and don't go to sleep. It says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. Man, that sounds like a protest mob. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest, Cathias, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst. They inquire, by what means or by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick 
and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, my Lord, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. Let me read that one more time. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. They were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a noble sign has been done through them. We cannot deny it, but to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to be silent and not speak any more of his name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here we go. Here's our focus verse. Watch this. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for being able to read your last will and testament. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I pray that everyone who is under the sound of my voice that is listening, if they come to this service, this virtual service, with anything on their hearts or minds that may be distracting them or maybe keeping them from truly being in connection with you, I pray that you would remove it and let their spirits be at peace. Lord, I pray for favor on my listeners' lives, that you would definitely grant them the desires of their heart within reason and allow them to have peace that goes beyond all understanding. Lord, I thank you and I love you, and I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this sermon. In your son Jesus' name, we pray, I pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I call this one, I can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Angela Davis said, I am no longer accepting the things I cannot change, but I am changing the things I cannot accept. I'm not sure if she had read Acts 4. However, I think she had a bad case of I can't stop, won't stop. Martin Luther King said, our lives begin to end when we become silent about things that matter. Now, I know he read Acts 4, but I think he also had a bad case of, 
I can't stop. I won't stop. Fannie Lou Hamer said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Now, I know that was a church-going woman, and I'm sure she's quite familiar with Acts chapter 4, but she also had a spirit of, I can't stop, won't stop. Frederick Douglass, he said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. I'm not sure if he read the text either, but I'm sure he had a spirit of, I can't stop and won't stop. And brothers and sisters, in all 50 states across America, people are protesting. People are walking in the streets. People are upset. They are sick and tired of being sick and tired. They can no longer be silent about things that matter. They are no longer accepting the things they cannot change, and they are changing the things they cannot accept. And they are coming to the realization that there is no progress without struggle. Brothers and sisters, I think we're facing another pandemic of I can't stop, won't stop. You see, Acts 4 tells us Peter and John are in a courtroom. And they're facing charges of glorifying a black man that has been crucified and killed by the Roman Empire. Despite being faced with the wrath of the empire, despite being faced with the wrath of Judaism, despite these two men being faced with prison and possible death. These two men, these average men, as the text says, these unlearned, uneducated men, these men stood up in front of the religious officials and they said, whether it is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you be the judge. But as for us, we can't help but speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. These are some bad jokers, brothers and sisters. These two men are suffering from a case of I can't stop, won't stop. Brothers and sisters, in our text today, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4 and really examine verses 19 and 20 and look at the parts that talk about what they've seen and what they've heard. You see, the book of Acts is written by Luke, and Luke is a physician, and he's written the book of Acts, and the book of Acts really breaks down what the essence of the Holy Spirit is. The book of Acts talks about the works of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and through the disciples, the works of the Holy Spirit, mostly through Peter and through Paul. The book of Acts talks about the unifying power of the Spirit. It talks about the transformative power of the Spirit. It talks about the healing power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the book of Acts gives us a full definition and understanding of how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives and how it moved in antiquity. That means long ago. Luke worked or wrote about the killing of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Then he wrote about the Spirit of God in the book of Acts. But that's almost as if what Luke was trying to do in his literary uh, creativity was show us that you can kill my Savior by destroying his body, but you can't kill the Spirit that will save our lives. Brothers and sisters, Luke is showing us that the Holy Spirit is something that was given to us as a gift 
from God. Luke is showing us that the Holy Spirit has the power to unite, that the Holy Spirit has the power to transform, that the Holy Spirit has the power to heal. You see, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit was given to us before Jesus. However, it was fully activated after Jesus was crucified. Now, you remember Jesus and how Jesus worked. You remember that Jesus is the Savior who healed the sick and healed the blind and fed the 5,000 and died for all mankind. You remember Jesus. You remember how Jesus said, I am here because the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, because he has sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the captives free. That sounds like Jesus had a bad case of, I can't stop, won't stop, brothers and sisters. And the good thing about Jesus is that even though Jesus was crucified, even though Jesus was killed by the Roman Empire, they destroyed his body, but they couldn't take away his soul. And brothers and sisters, the soul of Jesus, the soul of our Savior is the Holy Spirit. The Greek term for this is called the paraclete. Get your pencils and papers ready. This is a note-taking section. It's called the paraclete. Paraclete is Greek for Holy Spirit. It stands for the Holy Spirit being an advocate or a helper. To help you better understand the word paraclete a little bit better, you have the term parachute. And a parachute helps you when you jump out of an airplane. You have the term paramedic. A paramedic is a medical official that helps you when you're sick or in times of need. You have the term paraprofessional that assists the teacher in the classroom when it comes to education. So the paraclete is the spirit of God that helps us in time of trouble. Come on, somebody. Somebody understood that. Just type amen or type in the word paraclete. Brothers and sisters, the paraclete is the savior. The paraclete is the spirit, I mean, that helps us in our time of need. You see, we must seek God the way God seeks us. An example of how God has sought us is that you can see throughout the Old Testament, God is kind of far off and he interacts with humanity through miracles and through signs, through burning bushes, through him even coming down and him spending time with, with uh, Abraham like he did and him spending time with Moses at the tent of meeting. We see this, this God that has anthropomorphic features. That means human-like features coming and interacting with humanity through creation and all kind of different things. But in the New Testament, God then says, I guess that wasn't enough in the Old Testament because they were still unfaithful. So then God sends himself in human form through his son, Jesus Christ. And then we get the tangible aspect of Jesus Christ. And then God says, you know what? I need to get closer to them than that. So then he sacrifices his son, his son which in essence is himself, so that we could have his spirit, which would be with us eternally. Brothers and sisters, we must seek God the way God is seeking us. God is always trying to make himself available to God, us. God is always trying to move closer to us. And just 
like it talked about in James, like I preached a couple of Sundays ago, that as we draw near to God, God draws near to us, brothers and sisters, and God has been drawing near to us for a mighty long time. We just have to be consistent and we have to have a spirit just like God does that says, I can't stop and I won't stop doing all I need to do to be in deep relationship with you. Brothers and sisters, Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. Through him who loved us, for I am convinced, come on somebody, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's a Savior that loves us. That's a Savior that wants to be near to us. That's a Savior that wants to be close to us. And brothers and sisters, he sent his Holy Spirit to be the advocate, to be the helper for us in times of need. If you look through the Old Testament to now, God is constantly trying to draw near and near and closer and closer to humanity, closer and closer to us through different sacrifices. And he was willing to sacrifice his son so that we could have the gift of his spirit and so that we could have salvation and grace. Now, let me give you a little background about Pentecost. You see, Pentecost really exemplifies the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people only like to talk about Pentecost and the falling of the Holy Spirit and Acts 2 and go into the speaking in tongues and, and the, the gifts of the Spirit that give you the power to speak in tongues and prophesy and teach and heal and do all these great wondrous things. But what we often don't talk about is how through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are now able to be in direct relationship with God in a way that the Jews were not able to be in that same relationship in olden days. Let me give you an example. You remember in the Old Testament, they would have to make animal sacrifices. You know, I like to go through this a lot because we have to talk about this so that you can get an understanding of why Jesus Christ is important. And in the Old Testament, they would have specific groups this group called the priestly group or the high priest, and they were the only ones that could deal with the sacrifice and deal with God directly. So the high priest would prepare the sacrifice, go through all the rituals of cleaning and, and go through all the rituals of making sure the community was prepared. And they would take up all the sins for the, in the community and it would be represented in the death of that sacrifice it would be either a calf, a lamb, calf, a lamb, or some other uh, animal, and they would kill it, and that would, uh, that would be recognized as the atonement for their sins, and that's what the priest used to do. And brothers and sisters, what we're seeing here in Acts 4, specifically in verse 6, it says, well, verse 5 and 6, it says, The next day the rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Cephas 
um, John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly families. We see an issue with identity because in the text, they are being arrested for the simple reason that they have chosen to acknowledge Jesus as the living God, as the one that now is the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the community. That you no longer need these priests to intercede for you and to do this ritualistic practice for you. They, 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 they've now identified Jesus as taking up all the sins of the world. So we don't necessarily have to do that anymore. We've moved from the old way to the new way. And that's why this new form of Christianity, before it was called Christianity, was called the way. Because that's where you get Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. You see what I'm saying? So, brothers and sisters, this becomes an issue for this priestly group. Because now they're saying, you're stepping on my toes. Now you're talking about my identity and my authority. And brothers and sisters, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, you remember it talks about in the text how um, the tapestry or how the, 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 the curtain was torn. And it said when the curtain was torn, what that was supposed to represent was the separation between the holies of holies and the outer chamber. And brothers and sisters, that separation between the holies of holies is where the priestly uh, people would go or the priests would go. And only one priest could enter in at a time because once they went in there, unless they were consecrated to the point of which they had purified themselves to where they could be in close proximity to God, they would drop dead. Brothers and sisters, we have learned from the text that whenever the priests would go into being with the holies of holies, they would wrap a rope around their uh, waist and they would have the person that was on duty that night to go beyond that curtain and go in the holies of holies and be in there with the incense and spend time with God and get a message from God. But they'll be holding a rope as he went in there just in case his spirit wasn't right, just in case he wasn't pure enough. And by him going in there, if he wasn't pure enough, he would drop dead and they would feel it on the rope and they would have to pull his body out. And brothers and sisters, when Jesus Christ was crucified, that curtain that separated the holies of holies from the outer chamber, what that did was cut that separation between this type of ritual that needed to take place to be in close proximity to God. So brothers and sisters, Jesus' sacrifice symbolizes the sacrifice of the old way into a new way of worship. Now saying that you don't have to go through all that to be close to me. You don't have to go through somebody else to be close to me. You don't have to have a priest or somebody to intercede for you. You can come to me directly. And brothers and sisters, that's good news because that means you don't have to go and do a whole bunch of anything fancy or go kill a lamb to be in close proximity to God. You can call on the name of Jesus for yourself. You can call on the Holy Spirit for yourself. You can call on your help and receive help from God through the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus' sacrifice represents along with the atonement for sins. And brothers and sisters, these priests in the text are upset about this, that they're stirring up this fuss. And over 5,000, it said, people are believing that there's life and abundant life through Jesus Christ and that Jesus' sacrifice and the power of the Holy Spirit atones for their sins and they're able to have access through God through this Holy Spirit. So now they're upset because they've been, uh, Peter and John have stepped 
on the wrong toes. And brothers and sisters, when you step on the toes of authority, when you step on the toes of power, power will make sure that who's ever stepped on their toes will pay. I came up with this little saying that says, when power and authority is threatened, somebody must pay. Once again, when power and authority is threatened, somebody must pay. Let me give you an example of that. I know you've heard of Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, I've been watching this Netflix series. I talked to some of you all about it on uh, Bible study, and it was this series on Netflix that talked about Jeffrey Epstein and how Jeffrey Epstein was this billionaire who was just untouchable. He had friends in high places such as Donald Trump, such as uh, Bill Clinton and other mayors and governors and, and, and religious leaders and all types of people all over the world. He was a billionaire with, high, with a lot of friends in high places. However, in spite of all the money he had, in spite of all the influence he had, Jeffrey Epstein had a perverted spirit. And Jeffrey Epstein was running a sex trafficking ring out of his New York apartment and out of his out of his many different islands and houses in which he had some even in Palm Beach and brothers and sisters it took them over 10 to 15 years to convict convict Jeffrey Epstein because he had his hand in so many high places where he could end the investigation or he could cut the funding here or he could pay people off there and brothers and sisters when he was finally brought to justice because he knew so many people, he made the claim that if he went down, everybody else was going to go down with him. And miraculously, when he is sent to jail, before he can be tried, he magically commits suicide. But brothers and sisters, the autopsy came back and showed that even though it said he committed suicide, the way his neck was broken, it was evident that he couldn't have done it himself. Brothers and sisters, that shows when power and authority is threatened, somebody must pay. These people that were in high places, they didn't want their name associated with Jeffrey Epstein. They didn't want their name associated with these sex trafficking rings. They didn't want these videos to come out where they had been sleeping with underage girls and they were married and they were older men in their 50s and 60s. Brothers and sisters, when authority and power is threatened, somebody must pay. Maybe your person isn't Jeffrey Epstein. What about Martin Luther King? Martin Luther King is another example of somebody who had reached astronomical heights when it came to the preacher circle, when it came to being a socialite and an activist and, and a civil rights activist. When it came to politics, he had gone to high heights. And brothers and sisters, everything was everything until he started speaking out against the war in Vietnam. Then he made the wrong people mad. And next thing you know, power and authority is threatened. And he had to pay. Maybe Malcolm X is your type of person. Maybe you're more of a Malcolm X than a Martin Luther King type of individual. Malcolm X had riled up the world, had riled up Chicago. He wasn't a nonviolent guy. He was the type of person that if you hit me, I'll hit you back type of individual. And everybody was supporting him in the nation of Islam. However, when he threatened power and authority by coming out speaking against the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and revealing that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had many women he had had children with and that the nation was paying off those, those, those women to be quiet, he was killed by his own people. Brothers and sisters, maybe it's Jesus Christ you need an example of. 
When he came into the city and they were naming, calling out Hosanna, Hosanna. Then the next week they crucified him. When they were calling out Hosanna, the Roman officials got upset. The empire got upset because they're thinking, who is this individual? Who is this Jesus that they're calling the Messiah, this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords? Now he's stepping on the empire's toes because Caesar is the only one that's supposed to have the power and have the reception he received coming in to the city. So what did they do? They crucified and killed him. Brothers and sisters, when power and authority is threatened, somebody must pay. Maybe you see this in your personal lives. Your personal lives, when you're working on your job and you're an individual that is very creative, you're an individual that's very articulate, you're an individual that's very smart, you're an individual that just has the power of the Holy Spirit around you and people are jealous and instead of you excelling on your job, people are holding you back. They're marginalizing you and keeping you in the same position, not allowing you to be up for promotion but keep passing you by because they know if you get on their level or if you get in the right environment, you'll be a threat to them. Somebody's experienced that on their job. Somebody's experienced that in their workplace. Maybe it's not your job. Maybe it's your own family and friends. Mm. Your own family and friends that can see your potential. Your own family and friends that know you're trying to get educated. Your own family and friends that's jealous of you and they know you're smart. They know you're creative. They know you've been touched by God. But instead of supporting you, what they do is tear you down. Brothers and sisters, this just doesn't happen in the high places, but it happens in the everyday places of our lives. And brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you is regardless of what's going on, you can call on the power of the Holy Spirit because the power of the Holy Spirit is no longer the way it was back in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament. You don't have to kill a goat or kill a lamb to be in close proximity with God. You don't have to go to a priest or anybody like that. You can call on the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit God sent to be in close proximity to us, to be our help in, in, in individual times of need. This Holy Spirit is there to help us when we fall. This Holy Spirit is there to guide us when we're going through a hard time. This Holy Spirit is there to provide for us spiritually and help change our reality. Brothers and sisters, it reminds me of Marvin Gaye's song that said, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley, no, ain't no river wide enough. He said, if you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far. Don't worry, baby, just call my name. I'll be there in a hurry. You don't have to worry. That's how the Holy Spirit works. When God sent his Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us no matter what we're going through. But brothers and sisters, Peter and John are here in the text. And they're challenging the Roman Empire. They're challenging the religious leaders. And they're saying, as for us, we cannot help speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. Remember, these brothers have a spirit of, I can't stop and I won't stop. These brothers have this spirit of I can't stop and I won't stop because they've seen the power of the Holy Spirit. You can remember in the text when it talks about the man that was healed, as I read to you, it said the man that was healed had been crippled for over 40 years. Now, what I read to you was Acts chapter 4, but this is coming out of Acts chapter 3. 
And in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are at the temple gate called Beautiful. And while they're at the temple gate called Beautiful, there's a beggar there that's been lying there for all of his life. He's a crippled beggar, and he's just been lying there begging and asking for money. These beggars, these people that are handicapped, are often marginalized by society to the point where they can't get jobs. So they rely on people giving them money. They rely on people giving them food. They rely on people supporting them. So when this beggar sees Peter and John at the gate called Beautiful. He does the things he always does and asks them for money. You all remember this. Peter says to the beggar, he says, silver and gold have I none, but I can give you the name of Jesus to stand up and walk. And brothers and sisters, this brother, this, this beggar that's been begging for over 40 years, Peter helps him up to his feet and he stands up and walks. And it says that this beggar, this crippled beggar, he was running around the temple. He was leaping around the temple and everybody was amazed. Everybody was surprised because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, although they're talking about a beggar, what I want you to see is that the power of, of the Holy Spirit is so powerful, it can take situations and people and things that a bitch that had been laid down for so long it can help them to stand up on their own two feet brothers and sisters if you're ever in a low place and you've been beaten down this holy spirit can help you stand up on your own two feet what this really shows us is that the holy spirit has the power of breaking generational curses pastor what are you talking about well if you know anything about how the Bible describes those that are crippled, what it often says is that people that are crippled or people that are handicapped are cursed. And it said that they were cursed back then because of the sins of the father or the sins of the mother. And they often, when they saw somebody that was blind or they often saw somebody that was handicapped, they would say, well, what were the sins of the father? What were the sins of the mother? And brothers and sisters, what this Holy Spirit has done has, and it has come in and it has broken this concept, this mindset of this generational curse in this man's life. Now, brothers and sisters, that was over 2000 years ago. But Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit, and what is showing us is that if it can make a man stand up on his two feet that had been crippled for 40 years, it can break any generational curse that you have in your household that's going on for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 20 years, or 10 years. Brothers and sisters, it can break a generational curse of alcoholism. It can break a generational curse of divorce. It can break a generational curse of having single mothers. It can break a generational curse of cheating, of infidelity. It can break a generational curse of molestation and rape and all kind of things going on in the so it can break all sorts of generational curses. But brothers and sisters, we have to be aware of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it means so much to me to be able to see how the text shows how the Holy Spirit was allowing this man to stand up after 40 years. 
because it makes me think of how we as a race of people, how African Americans as a race of people have been laying down for over 400 years begging for the American society to recognize us as human beings, begging for American society to give us a seat at the table. And even once we get a seat at the table, we still aren't respected at the table. It just reminds me of how, in a way, uh, symbolically, we've been like this beggar, like this handicapped man who is uh, we've been like this handicapped man at the gate called Beautiful that's just trying to get uh, a level of healing or trying to receive something. Brothers and sisters, this Holy Spirit that Peter and John bring him, help him get on his feet. And brothers and sisters, I have to say, and this may be a little controversial, but I think the Holy Spirit has fallen such a, in such a time as this in our current generation. Because when you see over 50 states and neighboring countries stand up and protest and say enough is enough and that black lives matter, I think that's the beginning of the breaking of generational curses of white supremacy and racism. Brothers and sisters, I know that may not be the ideal way you want to look at it, but I think we can't negate and overlook this point in history. I think we can't negate and overlook the point that so many people have died for us to get to this point. So many people would have wished something like this could have happened. Brothers and sisters, I was looking on social media and I saw that even the Amish had come out in protest. I saw that people in New Zealand were out there protesting. I saw that people in London were out protesting. I even saw a picture where people in Syria were protesting and they had drawn a picture of George Floyd and as you know Syria is a war-torn territory. Brothers and sisters we are at a time where the nation is in uproar and the nation is standing up brothers and sisters despite race, despite class, despite economic stability everybody is standing up across the 50 states and yes there are people that are still upset yes there are still white supremacists yes there are still bad cops but you can't say that there's ever been a moment in history like this moment we're facing right now and brothers and sisters if the Holy Spirit can cause a crippled man to stand up after 40 years. I think the Holy Spirit has done something in the lives of the American people to cause people to stand up and say enough is enough when it comes to racial and social injustice. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to make a claim about these riots that you may or may not like. And I've been beginning to wonder what does it mean when we see the riots and we see the destruction and we see the brutality of people that are taking it upon themselves to destroy businesses. Is it possible for God to use that? And brothers and sisters, I began to question the fact, and I'm just throwing this out there, just so you can ponder on this. Is it possible that God can bring his retribu retributive justice through the looting and through the destruction of property? Is that possible? Or is that just out of the question for God? Because when I look at the fact of that in the Old Testament, King Saul was punished because he was told by God, 
when it came to him fighting the Amalekites to go in and destroy and take nothing for himself. And once he destroyed it, he went in and he took some of the silver, he took some of the gold, he took some of the things that he was told not to take and he got in trouble. God still told him to destroy everything. When it came to the walls of Jericho falling, and the city had been sealed up. And once the walls fell and, the, uh, and Joshua was instructed to go in and kill the women and children and take everything and keep the gold and silver and put that and give it to the Lord, that is very symbolic of the destruction of property. And brothers and sisters, I was one of the main advocates. And I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm advocating for looting and that I'm advocating for the destruction of property. But I've heard a lot of different commentaries on this that challenge my perspective. And I want to just give you this perspective just to chew on in your thoughts. That the destruction of property, especially in Atlanta. Killer Mike got on TV talking about how we're destroying our own city. We're destroying our own property. And on one of the pages I follow that has uh, Dr. Skip Mason and Dr. Cornell West on it, they made the point that Killer Mike and T.I., now, they own most of the West End. So, yes, they're destroying a lot of their property. However, blacks own less than 25% of the property in Georgia. And matter of fact, it talks about in this article that they wrote uh, that Dr. Skip Mason had posted on, on, on his Facebook page that in his study that he's realized that Georgia is one of the areas where blacks own some of the least amount of real estate. And brothers and sisters, while we are looking at it as the destruction of our home and looking at it as the destruction of our property, I wonder if it is the destruction of the building of an empire that was already corrupt in the beginning. And brothers and sisters, if this is the destruction of an empire that was already corrupt in the beginning, is it out of the question for God to bring down corruption with corruption by using what Satan meant for evil and twisting it around for his good. Remember when we read about uh, the story in 1 Kings, when we talked about the lying spirit that God sent into the 400 prophets in order to bring down King Jehoshaphat. God can use evil and God can use destruction in order to turn it around for the greater good. And brothers and sisters, if America is truly, and I shouldn't say if because I know based off the history, it is corrupt based off of how it looted the land from the Indians. It is corrupt just because of how it looted us as African Americans from Africa and brought us here. It is corrupt in the the ways that it has done business overseas. It is corrupt. Is this not the retributive justice that America is owed? So brothers and sisters, is it not possible for God to reconcile race relations through us or through him getting the attention of our oppressors through the destruction of the oppressor's property? Because it's not our property. Yes, I know a couple of black businesses here and there were destroyed, but on the grand scale of things, yes, they have insurance and all of that, but we've gotten somebody's attention. And not only have we gotten somebody's attention, some laws are about to change. Some things have changed. The four officers that were associated with the killing of, of George Floyd now have been brought to justice. And brothers and sisters, I just saw a post recently where they're changing a street's name in Washington, D.C. to Black Lives Matter Street. Brothers and sisters, that would have never been heard of about 50 years ago. 
Brothers and sisters, if that isn't the power of the Holy Spirit working through the hearts and minds of the people, working through people that are saying they're tired of being sick and tired, they're tired of things going the way they've always done, they're tired of the good old boy system, they finally want a black person's life to matter, I think God may be turning this whole world and city around and turning the United States around by this movement. And brothers and sisters, this it's not our will. It's God's will be done when we see things that happen on a mass scale like this. And now I'm not going to pretend like I know the full mind of God, but just looking at the text and how history works, when something happens on such a large scale like this, I can't say that God has nothing to do with it. So, brothers and sisters, what I want you all to see is that the power of the Holy Spirit is real. The power of the transformative movement of how the Holy Spirit can work through the hearts and minds of the people is key back then and is key even now. Brothers and sisters, we have to have a I can't stop, won't stop type of mentality. We have to have the mentality that as we tap into the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will reveal things to us. The Holy Spirit will give things to us. The Holy Spirit will give us the power to transform a nation. Brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you that Pentecost symbolizes the unity of the community, regardless of cultural background because of the influence of the Holy Spirit. And isn't it amazing that during this season of Pentecost, people from different ethnic groups, people from different cultural backgrounds, people that are unified from all over the world and neighboring countries have come together and said, we can't stop speaking about the injustice we've seen and we've heard. Isn't it amazing that these protests have gone on for about two weeks and probably will continue to go on and have the nerve to pause a pandemic that paused, that has paused our no, excuse me, that has paused our normal traditions in our day-to-day -day life because people are upset with the way that things have been run and how things are going in America. Isn't it amazing that during Pentecost? A time when the Holy Spirit failed and people from all cultural backgrounds were able to unify for a cause under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit, which was God's love, which was God's connection to us. Isn't that amazing that over 2,000 years ago that happened with Peter and with John and with the disciples and, 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 and with uh, the apostles? But now people are coming together for a movement to make a change in America. And brothers and sisters, I think that's something to be thankful for. And I think that's the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's the power of the prayers of our ancestors that have long gone. I think that's the power of the prayers of somebody that was working in the field that was treated as less than a human that says, Lord, if we could just get to a time where we could be created equal, where we could just get to a time where we're valued as human beings. I think this is the prayers of somebody that sat at the back of the bus, that wanted to be at the front of the bus. I think this, uh, this is the prayers of somebody that looked at a lunch counter they wanted to sit at but wasn't able to sit at. I think this is the prayers of somebody that had just been praying to be considered a human or to be considered somebody that mattered and have a piece of this American dream. I, I can't say that this moment in time 
isn't a moment in time that is the beginning of the answering of our prayers or the answering of our ancestors' prayers. So brothers and sisters, I pray that you tap into that Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that transformed the lives of the people in the book of Acts is the same Holy Spirit that can transform your life from day to day. Always remember, the joy we had, the world didn't give it to us, and the world can't take it away. But it's really ironic, and it's really good, and it's also very comforting that in spite of what the world takes, tries to take away, in spite of what the world does, we have the Holy Spirit, which is a comforter. We have the Holy Spirit, which is a liberator. We have the Holy Spirit working in our lives right now. And because it's working in our lives right now, we can see that things are changing around us. Brothers and sisters, I love you, and I thank you, and I thank you for tuning in and watching and worshiping with us this Sunday. God bless you. In the midst of this pandemic, people are struggling. Celebrate Recovery is here to help. We are here to encourage one another. We are here to help each other through our struggles, our trials. We are here to help each other, who, uh, help one another in our brokenness, in our pride, in our shame. And we are here to, to serve and love one another. We are here to come together for one another. We are still meeting every Thursday um, on a conference call line. You see the number below on the screen. But what I want to do today is introduce you to one of our Celebrate Recovery members. She has some encouraging words for you. Ricola, I am so glad that you're a part of Celebrate Recovery. Tell me, how did you come to join us? I realized that I needed some help. I was broken. I was lost, confused um, from different toxic people, toxic behavior, anger, depression. And, and I realized that I can't keep going on because I have someone to live for. So, Well, I also want to know what is it that you have learned since being a part of Celebrate Recovery? Um, I have learned it's okay to ask for help. Um, I once was a loner, so I always kept everything inside. So when I um, found out and had the information that I needed to, um, to figure out what was Celebrate Recovery all about, um, I, I started to know to um, coming and realize that it's okay to ask for help. And, and now know we are one big um, Celebrate Recovery family. Thank you for coming. Thank you.